Well, I don't think I have to tell you guys that 2020 has definitely been one for the history books. You think back to the month of January, it started out where all the headlines were focused on Australia and these massive wildfires are burning tens of millions of acres. And then following that, there was a few days where it seemed like conflict between America and Iran was inevitable. It seemed like for a few days there's going to be war. Then following that, we had our president's impeachment and eventual acquittal. And then following that, we had what we thought would just be a relatively minor disease that was in the news and quickly spread into a global pandemic affecting every nation on our planet. And then if you go over to Europe, the United Kingdom left the European Union, causing a lot of political unrest over there. And then we have earthquakes all over our globe. You have earthquakes in the Middle East, in South America, in Asia, even in Alaska. And then as we move into the summer, we have protests and unrest spreading throughout our nation. And now in recent weeks, we've had multiple hurricanes hitting our shores, with another one on the way. And now, yet again, wildfires are filling our headlines again, only this time in our own nation. All of these things are just a few of the major things that have happened so far this year. It seems like the year 2020 is going down as a year of chaos. So how are we supposed to live amidst all this chaos? Well, that's what my message is on this morning, is how to live in peace in times of chaos. And our passage this morning comes from Psalm chapter 46, and we're going to work through this entire chapter this morning, but as I read it, I want you to just try and imagine in your own mind what this would look like. Try to paint a picture of what these words would look like in your mind. Again, it's Psalm chapter 46, starting with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength in ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now some of you might already know this about me, especially some of you teens, but for those of you who don't know, I'm a huge fan of Marvel movies. Now for those of you who aren't familiar with what Marvel movies are, it's a series of movies that tell your classic good versus evil story. And I'm not the only one that likes these movies. To date, they have brought in over $22 billion dollars. 
So what is it that makes these movies so successful? Well, I think one part of it is that this series has 23 movies in it so far. Each one of those movies has its own storyline and its own plot that tell that movie. And while each movie has its independent plot and story, they all contribute to a bigger story that is told over the spread of those 23 movies. So what does this have to do with our passage? Well, I think that this is very similar to scriptures. Each word, each verse, each chapter, and each book, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, tells a story. But they're also a part of a bigger story, a story that is still being written today, a story that you and I are all a part of. And unlike Marvel movies, as good as they are, this story is actually true. And this story is far more important. Now today's text, Psalms 46, kind of forms a trilogy with the following two chapters, 47 and 48. Those two chapters have a theme of praise and deliverance for the Israelites. And that what they're being delivered from is what's covered in Psalm 46 which has a theme of stressing the importance of Jehovah and the presence of Jehovah with his people, and that that should be where they find their confidence in times of trouble or insecurity. Now, it's not known for sure who wrote this passage, but we do know that many of the verses and many of the words are also found in the book of Isaiah, which leads some to suggest that Isaiah was the author. Other scholars believe it may have been Hezekiah, which you'll see why in a couple minutes. We also know that there was some kind of major event that happened where the city of Jerusalem was threatened and ultimately delivered by God, and that this was on the mind of the author as he was writing this psalm. Again, we don't know exactly what this event was, but most scholars believe it was when Sennacherib attacked Jerusalem in 701 B.C. If you're not familiar with the story of Hezekiah, I encourage you to read up on it. It's one of those stories where if it were turned into a movie today, it would be far more amazing and far more exciting of a movie than anything we've ever seen. You can read about Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 19. Just to give you a little background on him, he was the king of Judah. He was one of the last few good kings. The neighboring kingdom of Israel had just been brought down by King Sennacherib, who has now turned his sights on Judah. He's advanced on the nation and made it to the capital city of Jerusalem, where he surrounded the city with his armies, keeping King Hezekiah and his people trapped within its walls. It seemed like Hezekiah was in a very hopeless situation. Their neighboring country, the neighboring nation of Israel, had just fallen. They'd just been slaughtered and taken into captivity. And now that very army is on his doorstep. It seems like the only way out of this situation is through defeat and surrender. It seems like all hope is lost. But we know that Hezekiah does not lose hope, and instead he falls on his knees in prayer before his God for protection and deliverance. As we dig into this chapter, I encourage you to keep this story in mind as the inspiration for this chapter. My first point for you this morning comes from verses 1 through 3, and that's that we can find peace 
with God as our refuge. One word that really sticks out throughout these verses and a theme throughout this whole chapter is that of the word refuge. Webster's Dictionary defines refuge as a place that provides shelter or protection. John Wesley, when he was on a ship going across the ocean, he was with a group of Moravian Christians, and while they were on their journey, a huge storm came upon them. And as he was watching these Moravian believers, he realized that they had peace. They were completely at peace, even with the chaos all around them. And he observed that this spirit of quietness and peace is only possible if one has no fear. If we look ahead to verses 7 through 11, we can see a similar word of fortress, which means stronghold. Now, while, while refuge and fortress may be two different words, they both are the same in that they declare that our God is a dependable refuge for his people and a refuge that we do not need to live in fear, even when we're surrounded with chaos and even when it may seem like the world is falling apart around us. At the end of verse 1, we find the word trouble. And this is describing people who are in tight places or backed into a corner with no place to go. This is the absolute perfect description of what Hezekiah and his nation was going through. Again, they are completely surrounded with a vast army with nowhere to go and no way out of this situation. They are the perfect example of what it means to be in trouble. And it's here that the psalmist is saying, even though things look so bad and hopeless, that God is an ever-present help, a refuge for them. And as we go into verse 2, we can see that the author goes on to say, we have no reason to fear. Verses 2 through 3 says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now again, try to take a minute and imagine if you were to witness these things happening around you. Try to envision what it would look like to see a mountain surging. Imagine that. If you were to witness a mountain surging, if you were to witness mountains quaking, if you were to witness some falling into the sea, try and imagine what that would look like. You probably would not want to be around that area. I know if I was there, I would be utterly terrified and want to do everything I could to get away from there. But the psalmist is saying, even when things this extreme, things this chaotic happen, that we should not live in fear because our God is with us. Our God is our refuge, our strength, and an ever-present help in times of trouble. But in order for us to not live in fear, we have to make that decision to trust in God and his protection. He's giving us the option to trust in him, but he's not going to force us to make that decision. You see, up to this point, Jewish leaders had a history of when they would get in times of trouble, they would turn to other pagan nations, such as Egypt, for help, rather than turning to God. And almost every single time they did this, it caused them to fall into even more trouble. Hezekiah now found himself at this same turning point. 
Was he going to turn to another nation or try and solve the issue on his own? Or was he going to turn to God for protection and deliverance? It's also important for us to remember that God is not protecting us just to pamper us or to hide us from the world around us. But he's protecting us so that we can be, have a time of rest and be strengthened so that we can then go back out into the world with all its dangers and live the mission, purpose, and calling he has placed on our lives. In verse 3, you see the reference to roaring waters, which is believed to be symbolic of all the unrest around the nation of Judah. Don't forget all the nations had just been conquered before this. While circumstances in our lives may change, God's covenant with his people, with us, will never change. He is always and will always be our high tower, our refuge amidst the uncertainties and fears we face in the world around us. So what is it in your life that's causing chaos or unrest? What is it that's causing you to not be able to find peace? God wants us to be able to find peace in the storms in our lives, but in order for us to have this peace and to find refuge, we first have to trust in him. Once we do this, we will then be able to experience the same peace and deliverance that Hezekiah was eventually able to have. That takes me into my second point, which comes from verses 4 through 7, and that's that we can find peace knowing God is with us always. In verse 4, we start to see a transition to a theme of consolation, a theme of comfort. We also see where the attention starts to shift to the city of Jerusalem itself, a city that again is surrounded by an enormous army, a city that Hezekiah is trapped in with it being the capital city with his people. Now water was a very precious resource, not only for Jerusalem, but for the entire region. So the people in the city knew the value of water. And thanks to Hezekiah, earlier in his reign, he had built a vast underground system that delivered water from springs into the pool of Siloam in the city. So the people were still able to have fresh water, but they still knew the value. It was not something they took for granted. Now, Jerusalem was one of the few cities in the region that was not built on a river. So this suggests that the word, the terminology of river is symbolic. In John chapter 7, he uses water to symbolize the Holy Spirit's presence in the heart that's producing lives of living water. The author of this psalm knew this, and he knew that God was their river and provided them with the water of life. The use of the word river is also a significant change from earlier when the psalmist was using terms like roaring waters, foaming waters, now all of a sudden we have a river of peace. And in Isaiah chapter 8, he compared a Syrian invasion to an overflowing river, but reminded the Jews that their God was like a quiet river that would bring them peace. The city of Jerusalem was also incredibly important because it was the holy city. It was set apart by God. Jerusalem was where the temple was, where God dwelt. 
But even these things did not automatically guarantee that Jerusalem would be victorious. As I said before, the Jewish people had a history of turning to other people or turning to their own strength to try and save themselves rather than God. Now they were at that turning point. Would they and their king choose to turn to God or would they choose to try and dig themselves out of the situation? The king needed to turn to God in this crisis, and we know that he did. He fell on his knees before the Lord in prayer, as we can see in 2 Kings 19. And we know that God did follow through on his promise of protection for Jerusalem, and he delivered them from their enemies. During the night, the angel of the Lord came and killed 185,000 soldiers. Think how many people that is. That's just a portion of this army, so that helps put in perspective just how big these armies were around the city. But after finding all these soldiers dead, Shennacherib knew he was defeated and withdrew his army. As we see in verse 6, kingdoms may fall, but when God lifts his voice, the earth melts. There is no force on this planet that can withstand the power of God. Jehovah is God most high. All he had to do was speak, and the enemy was defeated. The commander of the armies of the Lord is with us always, as we can read in Joshua 5.14. And as we know, the common verse of Matthew 1.23, for he is Emmanuel, God with us. No matter the circumstances in our life or the circumstances that surround us, we may drink from the river of his joy and blessing and find the peace that we need, the peace and strength we need to endure. Verse 7 says, The Lord Almighty is with us. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. When we moved to Greenfield in May, one of the first things we noticed about the area was we got a lot of corn. Seems like everywhere we turn, there's another cornfield. I know some of you are farmers, and some of you might work on a farm. I think that most of you have a general idea of how corn is harvested. So let's go through an example to kind of put in perspective of what this would look like for our lives. Let's say one of you, I'm not going to pick, but one of you gets to leave this church and go into one of these cornfields outside the church. You're responsible for harvesting that entire field with whatever tools you brought with you to church. I'm guessing none of you brought tools to harvest corn, so that means you have to harvest this entire field by hand. Now let's say someone else decided to just happen to drive to church this morning in a brand spanking new combine. <laughs> so, you now have a decision. Are you going to go and harvest this entire field by hand? Or are you going to rely on your new best friend who has a combine to help you make an impossible situation possible? Now, I think this situation is very unlikely that it would actually happen, but it helps put in perspective our lives and when we find ourselves in a storm or in times of trouble. We can either go at it on our own, like the kings before Hezekiah did, or we can follow his example and turn to God, just as you would probably turn to your friend with the combine. So we can turn to God, and he'll give us that peace and that strength. 
And we can find that peace knowing that he is always with us. Even though a storm might get incredibly intense, the Lord lifts his voice and the earth melts. Remember that when you're going through a time of weakness or when it seems like there's nothing that anyone can do, that when the Lord lifts his voice, the earth melts. Then as we move into verse 8, we can kind of see the final transition of this chapter, which also brings us to our third and final point. And that's that we can find peace knowing God is always in control. Verse 8 starts by saying to come and see what the Lord has done. So the angel of the Lord just came and struck 185,000 soldiers dead, and then Sennacherib withdrew his army. Now Hezekiah is waking up, all the armies are gone, and he and his people go outside the walls. And what do they find? 185 soldiers laying there dead. They did not fire a shot, they did not attack them, there was not any battle, they just found all these soldiers dead. And if that wasn't enough, their weapons and their equipment was scattered all over the place. And not only that, but it was shattered. How do spears just shatter on their own? How do shields just burst into flames? So this is what they walked out to see. Even though there wasn't a physical battle, the angel of the Lord had left behind this evidence to encourage the people, God's people in their faith to show them that God is victorious and that God did indeed save them. Verse 9 says, He makes wars cease to to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This is how God delivered his people in Jerusalem. And this is the same kind of power that God has that can deliver us from our enemies and from attacks from our enemies. If you had to remember only one thing from this message, it should be the first part of verse 10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. That's what the author of the psalm is saying it all comes down to. Hezekiah came to a point where he had, could have tried his best to get his country out of trouble, but instead he turned to God to deliver him. I'm going to read one verse from his prayer from 2 Kings 19.19. He said, Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are, O Lord, our God. Hezekiah was praying that God would deliver them so that then every nation would, every nation would know what he did, so that his name could be exalted in every nation. Because Hezekiah and his leaders allowed God to be God, they were delivered from their enemies. There's a time to obey God and act when he's calling us to do something, but until that time comes, we need to take our hands off our lives and be still and allow him to work in his own time and his own way. If we grasp God's promises with both hands by faith, then we will not have any hands free to meddle in his plans for us. It's important for us to remember that God is always in control of everything around us, even when it seems like the world might be falling apart. Sometimes God allows us to get into tight places so that our faith will be grown and that he will be exalted. 
Again, remember that I said this psalm was a part of, trilogy, a part of a trilogy of psalms. The following psalms, 47 and 48, you will find many examples, many references to God being exalted for his deliverance that we read about in Psalm 46. The psalm closes in a way very similar to how it began, by reminding us that the Lord Almighty is with us, and the same God of Jacob is our fortress now and forever. Francis Chan compared this passage to what it was like for him to grow up in Hong Kong, where it said that kids grow up on treadmills. Now what he means by this is that when someone has a child, almost the day after they're born, they push that child to develop as quickly as possible. They push that child to start walking, to start talking, to advance as fast as it can, so that they can get it into the most affluent preschool. After that, they push their child to continue to develop so that it can then get in the greatest grade school. Once there, they push their child to have the best grades so that they can then get into the best college, where they'll get the best education, where they'll get the best job, where they'll try and get the next greatest promotion. All so that they can make enough money to pay to send their kids to preschool. You see, it's an endless cycle that does not allow for them to be still. Now, even though Francis Chan was describing what it's like for kids in Hong Kong, I think this applies in a lot of our lives as well. We become so focused with living our lives that we do not allow any space to be still. We want to do everything ourselves or only do things that fit within our life plan. And the psalmist is saying that when this happens, we have to be willing to be still. We have to be able to let go of these things so that we can then fully trust in God to be our refuge, to always be with us, and to have control over our lives. And that's the bottom line of this message. In order to find peace amidst chaos, we have to be able to be still in order for God to work in our lives. Now, at the beginning of this message, I gave a bunch of events that happened in the year 2020. Now, even though all these events did cause a lot of chaos, even though they did affect a lot of people's lives, even before this year, even before January, there was still a tremendous amount of chaos in our lives. Maybe it's different for everyone, but maybe it could be something such as financial troubles. It could be health issues with you or a loved one, it could be strained relationships with your kids, with your parents, with your siblings, or it could be struggling with anxiety or depression. The options are endless of the things that we struggle with, the storms in our lives. So I encourage you to take some time today or this week to think about what it is that is causing chaos in your life. What is it that is causing you to not be able to have peace? And once you know what that thing is, to take it before God, to be still and to allow God to give you peace. Stop trying to get through this situation on your own strength and give it fully over to God. Only then will you be able to experience peace amidst the chaos around us. Let us pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your words in this psalm. I thank you for this inspiration that we have, God, that the same power that you saved Hezekiah is the same power you have today that can save us from the circumstances in our lives, the times of trouble we are in. God, I just ask that you would help us to reflect on our lives, to reflect on what it would mean for each one of us in our individual situations to be still and to know that you are God. God, I just ask that you would give us peace. In your name I pray.